Amen. That's a good question. Praise God. Uh, does Jesus like Frosty the Snowman? That's a, amen. I guess we can ask him when we see him. How about that? All right, let's pray. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for a lively discussion as we get started, Lord, tonight. Uh, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for always believing the best about us, Lord. Um, you're so merciful and so patient, so kind, Lord, to us. And Lord, uh, we thank you uh, tonight that you've just given us uh, another day of life uh, to know your goodness. Lord, another opportunity, Father, to draw near to you, to receive from you. And Lord, I thank you that we're going to make the most of this time together tonight. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he's present with us. He's in us. He's among us. And he's upon us now, empowering us, Father, to, by faith, reach out and draw from from your word and your truth into our lives tonight. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in, in us and through us. And Lord, for all the people that these men and women are impacting and will impact in the future for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go tonight as we begin to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. And um, we tried to squeeze uh, some of this in um, towards the end of last class. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go back to it tonight and begin here again, all right? Um, just by a quick review, we're, we're still on our section that I simply call the Word of Reconciliation. We've, we've you know, laid some layers down. We've laid some rows of, of brick down, if you will. Um, and we said that every born-again believer is called to do the work of the ministry, that everyone who's been reconciled to God has been given the ministry of reconciliation. And in addition to that ministry of reconciliation, which, by the way, two branches, right? Uh, preaching the Gospel, telling people about Jesus so they can be born again, and then the second branch is the branch of discipleship. Both of those and the effectiveness of those is dependent upon um, the Word of God, the Word of reconciliation. Or you can't get anybody born again without telling them uh, about Jesus from, from the Word of God. And you can't disciple someone, nor can you be discipled apart from um, the, uh, the, the Word of God. So we looked at some things like, and I, I just like to give you catchy things from the Holy Spirit you know, to kind of register in your mind. And so we've talked about the Word of God being rightly divided, skillfully applied. Rightly divided, skillfully applied. All right? And so we spent much of last class you know, digging into a little deeper what it means to, to really and truly rightly divide the Word of God and, and to not be afraid, not, to not be scared um, uh, to cut it. Amen. Um, and so now this brings us to these first three verses in this pivotal book in the New Testament the book of Hebrews. And one of the things that um, we explained last week, for those of you who may be joining us online, and it's like we keep talking about last week, what was that all about? Again, it's all recorded, archived. You can go back and see the, the full balance of what we're referencing now, reviewing now, leading up to tonight. But one of the key things that we said about <clears throat> the book of Hebrews is that it's in so many ways different from any other book in the New Testament. Um, we have the Gospels, then we have uh, the book of Acts that records the beginning history of the church. And then from Romans to Revelation, we have the epistles, the letters. And with the exception of Hebrews, all those letters are written to the church. And we are the church, the church that we're a part of. They're written to us. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew people, both Hebrews who have been born again and Hebrew people who have not been. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. I believe it was the Apostle Paul, but that's just an educated guess. That, that, please don't... Pastor Mark said it's Paul. Well, amen. 
somebody else can say it's somebody else, you know. And um, I heard a really good argument one time that it was Barnabas. Uh, that Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. We, we simply don't know that. But what we do know is that whoever wrote, I, are you ready for this one, ladies? Are you ready for this one? That the reason we don't know who it is is because it, it, it was uh, a female. Some say Priscilla wrote it. So, and, you know, women in those days and these kinds of things, still even in our days, women ministers are, you know, praise God. Thank God for them, but not, not a lot of folks. Well, let me say that differently. There are still some people who don't respect uh, women ministers. But bottom line, the book of Hebrews is an open letter to Hebrew people. And if you don't understand that, you, there's, lots, there's large portions of the book of Hebrews that are going to really confuse you. You know, as to what exactly does this mean and who's he talking to, okay? And so, the, the opening uh, chapters in the book of Hebrews, and it, it's a theme that kind of carries throughout, is to systematically address um, issues that non-believing Jews who experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, when I say non-believing, they didn't accept Jesus as their Messiah. They didn't receive Him um, you know, by faith and the gift of salvation that He came to bring to them. Now, if you weren't here for the first class, again, they're archived. You're welcome to, free of charge, to to go back and look at these things. But if you remember in that first class, we looked at some different verses. Those of you who are not here, we looked at some different verses, like in John 1, John 8, where the Bible talks about Jewish people who, and I'm using the dittos now if you're listening by audio, who quote-unquote believed in Jesus, right? Um, but when we look deeper into that, we see like that first group uh, in John 2, I think I said John 1, John 2, the Bible says that Jesus didn't commit Himself to those people because He knew what was in their heart. In other words, He knew that they were not willing to make the kind of commitment necessary to, to be a disciple. And so when we were explaining discipleship, we looked at some of these different groups of people that were not willing to make the necessary commitment to be a disciple. Okay? So again, I think some of these folks are the people that the, that the writer of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit is going after. People who experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus, people who heard Him teach, who watched Him perform miracles, or maybe they just heard other people talk about Him, but have not yet invested faith in Him to receive salvation. All right, now, with that quick review, let's uh, dig into this. Verse number 1, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, comma, who at various times and in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Now, let me just give you just a quick side uh, discussion here, just a quick point, okay, and then we'll get back to what uh, we have at hand tonight. Um, a, a huge part of studying the Word of God involves what I call connecting the dots. Okay, connecting the dots. Um, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who know a lot of different things about God and the Bible, but what's lacking is their ability to connect those things together and see the bigger picture. I don't know if you remember when you was a kid, we would do these things called connect the dot drawings. You know, so if you weren't very artistic, if you could just draw a line from one to two, two to three, three to four, eventually you follow enough numbers and connect enough dots, you're going to have a picture develop on your page, right? So when we talk about connecting the dots, you know, being able to study in the Word of God and then begin to connect different things and different pieces together. I'm just going to show you an example here, and this is just something that jumped out at me when I read this to you, all right? When it says that He's appointed Jesus heir of all things, all right? 
Now, one of the, one of the things that you need to do when you're studying the Scriptures, and, and we've mentioned this again, this is review, and I'll be repetitive on this throughout all 36 classes, all right? is that you want the Holy Spirit to help you find yourself in there. Okay? You're not just looking for Jesus. You're looking for yourself. Okay? Jesus didn't just come to reveal God to you. He came to reveal you to you. Okay? He came to reveal who you truly are to you. Now, when you, when you have that, um, that focus when you're studying the Scriptures to find yourself in them, those dots on the map that say you are here, this is a you are here dot. And let me show you, let me explain to you what I mean by this. This verse immediately connects me back to Romans 8, where the Bible says, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. I'm an heir of God and a co heir with Jesus. Okay? Now, Romans 8 says, I'm a co heir with Jesus. Hebrews 1 and 2 says, Jesus is heir of all things. If I'm a co heir with Jesus and Jesus is heir of all things, that makes me heir of all things. Right? You see, how, you see what just happened there? How we connected that. Right? So now we've got another piece that we've added to, to the picture that's developing. And it's a picture that's developing simultaneously of both our beautiful Savior and Master. Right? But remember, He didn't just come to reveal God to you, He came to reveal you to you. The Bible says, as He is, so are we in this world. All right? Did I lose some of you on that? Again, I, said, I, I, I waved the red flag and said we're going to take a quick side journey. But I'm, just, I'm trying to show you something here. If you'll begin to study the Scriptures this way, it won't just be boring, dull reading, where you're actually, this process of discovery where the Holy Spirit is introducing you to you. He's introducing who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus to, to your rational uh, mind, amen, where you're beginning to see yourself as God sees you in the Scriptures. Okay? Amen or me. All right, through whom also He made the worlds. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Now, this is so important right here. The brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Now, we mentioned this last week. Let me go back to it, all right? If we were to break this down into the, you know, and, and build back from the original language... What he's saying here is that when God spoke to the fathers in times past by the prophets, He spoke to them like an instrument. Or He spoke to them, we could even say this, and I mean no disrespect, but they were basically a mouthpiece that God used to deliver a message to His people for Him. Okay? He's, and I, and I hate that it's lost in translation here, because what he's saying to, again, Jews, both those who believed in Jesus, those who have not, and of course to you and me, is that when it, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus was more than a mouthpiece. Jesus was more than a messenger. Jesus was more than just someone who came to this earth to tell us some more things that Father God wanted us to hear. But that when He spoke to us through His Son Jesus, He spoke to us both in the things that He said and in the things that Jesus did. Now, if you have studied the Gospels, you will see in different places where Jesus would say things like this. Okay, I don't say anything unless my Father tells me to say it. And how about this? I don't do anything unless my Father either tells me to do it or shows me to do it. Shows me. And somehow maybe Jesus would just, in His mind's eye, 
Father God would show him something that he wanted him to do. And Jesus also said this, are you ready? Without my Father, I can do nothing. So this is, this is Jesus, of course, expressing in different ways His true humanity, that He became one of us, and that apart from His Father in heaven, He can do no thing, nothing, right? But He also is, is, is stating that, that I haven't spoken unless my Father told me to say it. This, is, this means that everything Jesus said came directly from the Father to and through Him to you and me. Okay, But then also, I don't do anything unless my Father tells me to do it or shows me to do it. This means that in, in the same way that what Jesus said is revealing Father's heart to us, what He did is also revealing Father's heart to us. Now, this expression, the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, what He's literally saying is He spoke to us in times past through the mouthpiece of, mouthpiece of a prophet in these last days, He has spoken to us through the person of His Son. Through the person of His Son would be a literal translation of this. He goes on to say, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Now, I know that you know, we live in the days of computers and, and word processors, but if you've, if you've ever used a, an, an old typewriter, okay, and, and specifically a manual typewriter. Anybody? You ever? You're, oh, it's dinosaur stuff, right? Okay. So the way that typewriter works is when you hit the letter A on the keyboard, a little arm uh, swings up and, and slaps the paper, okay? And of course, between the paper and that little arm that slaps it, there's a ribbon. And it not only puts the ink on the paper, but it actually makes an impression, an express image, that's what he's saying here, into that paper. Back in the, in the days of those kinds of typewriters, um, it, it actually became a crime-solving tool. People could write threatening letters, uh, you know, ransom letters from a kidnapping, what have you. And if, and, if, and if investigators could ever find the typewriter they used, they could prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that that was a typewriter that typed that letter because each one of them made their own unique indentions in the paper as the person typed. Okay, Now, I probably told you more about that than you were interested in knowing, but I'm trying to get you to understand that when the Scriptures say Jesus is the express image of His person, He's literally saying if you took God and slapped Him really hard on a piece of paper, the imprint that Jesus left would be God. I didn't say that right. If you took Jesus and slapped Him on a piece of paper, the imprint that would be left would be God. In other words, He, he is the express image. He, he, the, the mark that He made on us is a thorough understanding of who God the Father is. Now we're going to come back to this. Let me read the rest of this. And then I want to build on that for a few more minutes. Who being the brightness of the glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. So remember, this section is called Word of Reconciliation. And, and we're looking at what the Bible has to say about itself. In other words, what is, what is Father God revealing to you and me, ministers of reconciliation? We've had the Word of Reconciliation committed to us to be effective in our ministry of reconciliation. We said if we don't have confidence in the Word of God, we will put our confidence in trying to in something else in our efforts to help someone, right? 
and we, and we see that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharpening into a sword. We covered all that already, right? So now he's, again, this phrase that he is upholding all things by the Word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sins, Jesus purged our sins, what did He do? He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. So we'll come back to that last part of verse 3. But again, as we kind of bleed over from rightly dividing into some more things about the Word of God, I want to build on this uh, idea that Jesus is the express image of, of God's person. Okay? And so turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 9. I'd like for you to mark this verse in, in your Bibles. I think it's a, it's, it's a very significant verse um, uh, for us to, to understand. John chapter 14 and verse 9. Yes. Um, you can, but I've got it here. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, it'll be on the screen in just a minute. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome from the Amplified. No doubt, uh, no doubt about it. All right. So, um, John chapter 14 and verse 9. Jesus, again, Hebrews says He's the express image of God's person. So, John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, um, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, let me kind of give you a little background here as to what's going on. Jesus is trying to prepare His disciples for what's about to happen. And what's about to happen is He's going to be arrested, brutalized by the, by the Romans, by the religious establishment, um, murdered, beaten almost to death, murdered, buried, and then on the third day he's going to raise from the dead. And he's, he's been mentioning this ever since his true identity was revealed by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter, disciple Peter in those days, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And so Jesus mentioned throughout his earthly ministry, this wasn't the first time that he's trying to get these folks ready for what's about to happen, okay? But again, there's a dullness, there's a, there's a callousness uh, to their hearts and minds, and it never really does register with them. And so Jesus, again, in His effort to prepare them for these events, He begins to enter into a conversation. And so this is, this is basically what they say. They say, look, Jesus, you know, we, we got you, man. We love you. You're, you're, you're the bomb.com, you know, but... You know, if you would just show us the Father, then all of our doubts would be settled, all of our questions would be answered, any nagging unbelief would, would be blown up. You know, um, if you would just, you know, show us the Father that you talk about being His Son and knowing Him so well, you know, if you would just like, poof, you know, make Him appear or something, right? So that was the context of this. Jesus, if you'll show us the Father, everything will be all right. And Jesus answers, I believe with a tear in his eye. I believe maybe with one running down his cheek. I believe he's like, man, you guys aren't getting it yet, right? He said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me? Okay? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Or is he saying, you're asking me to show you the Father. What do you think I've been doing for the last three years? 
I mean, Jesus didn't say it like that. Forgive me, Lord. I don't mean to, you know. But that's basically the context of this. I've been showing you the Father for three years, and yet you still haven't made that connection. And there's a lot of people on planet Earth today, a lot of people in the body of Christ today, still haven't made that connection. Okay? Let me, let me say it another way, all right? If you can't find it in the life and ministry of Jesus, then it ain't God. Okay? Now, I got verses for this. Let me, I mentioned this last week. It's one of my favorite quotes ever from Bill Johnson. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. Ephesians 4 and 20, I won't put it on the screen. I, I just, the Holy Spirit brought it up in my spirit before we started class. Ephesians 4.20 says, But you have not so learned Christ. That word learned there is the word manthano. It's, it's, it's what we get the word discipleship from. It's the root word for discipleship. But you have not so learned Christ. Notice what he's saying here. He's like, man, you know, um, what, what you're doing and, and how you're responding does, does not align with what we learned about God from and through the life of Jesus. Now turn with me to John chapter 1 and verse 18. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Again, I would recommend you marking this verse, becoming familiar with this verse. Um, it's, it's a very... Uh, it's, it's, again, very significant verse when it comes to this particular subject, all right? John chapter 1 and verse number 18. Let's go back to something that we began to discuss two classes ago, and that is um, our ability to trust that our Heavenly Father is a good, good Father. Amen? That He loves us and only wants good for us. Amen? And so there are a lot of things that are often attributed to God um, that either God did or God allowed or God was behind or somehow God had some greater good behind it and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and so what the enemy does with these things, because again, the line in the sand is, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's stealing, killing, destroying, it's not from God, it's from the devil. If it's, if it's giving life in, a, in, a, in abundance, uh, the life and nature of God without end, then it's, it's, it's God. Amen. And again, it took, folks, hundreds and hundreds of years of God revealing Himself to man for, before we finally came to that full and complete understanding. Now, there are still all kinds of questions, all kinds of nagging doubts and things that people have, right? And it's like, well, sure, it's almost like the same conversation that Jesus had with Philip you know, and others, right? It's like, well, you're going to have to show me that. You know, it's, it's show me the Father, show me the Father. Look at the life of Jesus, okay? Now, let me say one last thing before we look at John 1.18, right? This means if you want to know God, study the life of Jesus. Study the life of Jesus. You want to see what God thinks about racism? Study the life of Jesus. You want to know what Father thinks about children? Study the life of Jesus. You want to know what Father thinks about folks being humiliated because of their sin? Study the life of Jesus. You know what God thinks about religious folks who make it hard on other people to get to know God? Study the life of Jesus. Okay? All these things, amen, that Jesus was very clear on. I mean, you know, make, make no mistake about it, right? What they say, he, he didn't stutter, right? He was very clear, very plain about it, all right? Could I say one more thing, and too, I, I've noticed like kind of when the Holy Spirit prompts me twice, I need, to, I need to go there, so let's go there very quickly, all right? The Bible says that if everything Jesus did, every miracle He performed, every person He helped, every, every life that He changed 
while he was on, on the planet, the Gospel of John basically ends this way, that if it was all written down and recorded, that there would not be room enough to contain the volumes. Okay? Now that's really important there. And, and let me explain to you why. We know then that of the miracles recorded in the four Gospels, they were but a sampling of the massive amounts of miracles that Jesus did, right? Sometimes we just read along and we see there's a crowd of, of 10,000, 15,000 people and the Bible simply says Jesus healed them all, okay? I mean, we, don't, we don't know all them stories. We don't, you know, real people, real sickness, real disease, chronic illness, terminal illness, suffering people, blind people, crippled people, broken people, Jesus healed them all, okay? Healed them all. Their stories are recorded in heaven. They are not, however, recorded in the four Gospels that we have in our possession. Okay? So, again, if it was to all be recorded, there wouldn't be room enough to contain it. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because whatever it was that made the cut, it made the cut for a reason. This means that every miracle was, that's recorded and, and the, the details behind it, the conversations involved with those different miracles and, and things that happened, okay? Every syllable, every, every punctuation mark, right, is of the utmost importance because, again, it's, it's kind of like, um, I noticed you, we, you asked me about music before class. Do, do we draw a line, secular music, Christian music? Uh, nobody asks about movies, right? <laughs> that's, that's, amen, that's another conversation for another day. But yeah, we need to watch out for those big time as well, all right? Um, but, amen, let's, some of you know this, the Irwin brothers, you know, they, they're doing Christian movies and filmed uh, a movie here in Hueytown at the stadium, the old stadium, not the new stadium. And um, so, I don't know a lot about this. I took some of this in college, but, but um, if, if, a, if a movie, let's say a, a movie turns out to be an hour and 20 minutes, you do realize they probably filmed a hundred or more hours. And then they edited it down to what is finally presented to you uh, on the big screen in the theater. Yes? Okay. So think of it, say it again. Oh yeah, TV is, well, kind of the same category, right? What we watch, what we allow into our eyes and ears. Well said. All right. So, so I'm, I guess I'm trying to give you that that uh, you know, example of all, all these thousands and thousands of miracles, um, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they chose to record some very specific ones for us. So do you see why each one of these, every detail about these is e extremely important? When you start seeing the same miracle recorded in multiple Gospels, again, Emphasis, right? Emphasis, being emphasized. So we need to pay very close and very, uh, you know, intense attention to that. Um, the, 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 the conversations. Remember the man that his son was demon-possessed and he's having a conversation with Jesus' disciples and why couldn't we cast him out? And all these questions, right? Again, all of that is very strategic. Now, yes. It's going to be. I mean, it's going to be. It's going to be all kind of stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, brother. Praise God. All right. 
So, study the Scriptures, study the life of Jesus, study the nature, the personality. Hang on His every word, okay? Because He is perfect theology. And if you can't find it in the life of Jesus, it's not God. Okay? Now, you say, Pastor Mark, that's a catchy phrase, but you know, where does the Bible say that? Well, right here. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has declared Him. Alright? Now, when it says no one has seen God at any time, we know that there were different ones in the Old Testament that had glimpses. Moses saw his backside, if you will, and things of this nature. I don't believe he's saying no one has ever seen a glimpse of God. No one has any idea about God. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying here is no one has seen Him fully. No one has, has seen Him for who He truly and genuinely is. Remember what I've told you now multiple times. The revelation of God to man is, God revealing Himself to man is progressive throughout Scripture. So He introduces Himself by different names at different times. We know more about Him come David than we knew about Him come Moses. And, and then, of course, when Jesus comes, it's not just God speaking through a man as a mouthpiece, but through the person of that man, through the personality of that man. Amen? Remember what I told you last week? I'm just, I just, hey, praise God, I rushed some of that. That you cannot look at the personality of the prophet and, and assume that that's the personality of God. And people make that mistake all the time. But you can look at the personality of Jesus and not just assume, but be confident that this is the personality of God. So no one's seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. That, that word bosom there means held close to. That, that, that's a term of endearment, man. It's like, uh, we, you know, we may say bosom buddies, you know, that, that kind of thing, right? In other words, Him and God the Father are close, super close, right? Who's in the bosom of the Father, this last phrase, He, Jesus, has, past tense, declared, has declared Him has declared Him. Okay? So I saw some of you marking this verse already. Um, somehow, this word declared, okay, it unlocks, it unlocks the whole verse. Are you ready? This word declare means to make known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. Okay? Again, little word, go back to the Greek, it packs a big punch. Okay? The word declare, remember, Jesus has declared Him. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has declared Him. What does that mean? He has made Him known. He has made Him known completely. He has made God known to us thoroughly. He has made God known to us particularly. What does that mean particularly? In other words, this was the plan. This didn't just happen randomly. It just it didn't, you know, it wasn't like God the Father looked back after it was all said and done and said, Wow, I didn't even think about this, Jesus, but you just you just kind of showed people who I really am. No, no. It was by design that Jesus do this, okay? So again, completely, thoroughly, meaning when we if if it's thorough, this means that, well, there's these other sides of God that we've never seen anything about and won't ever know anything about. Uh, no, no. Jesus is the full and final answer, particularly, and then this word, finally. Finally. In other words, if anybody else comes 
uh, saying that God is like this, and, and, and you can't find it in Jesus, again, that, that book's already been written. Final, it's been closed. You follow what I'm saying? It's been closed. We're talking about the nature of God, the personality. Now, obviously, when we get to heaven, there'll be glories and beauty and wonder and all those other things. I'm talking specifically tonight about who He is, His nature, His character, His personality. Amen. And so we see this in the life of Jesus. Is this, is this making sense to you? Is this helping you at all? All right? So, amen. Oh, let's do this then. Let's go back. Uh, to that phrase in... Uh, I'll just pull the phrase up here uh, first. And that phrase where it said, the word of His power, who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, I'm reading now from Hebrews 1 and 3, and upholding all things by the word of His power. By the word of His power. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, I have always tried to say the power of His word. Okay? Now, listen to me. I'm not saying that's wrong to speak of the power of His Word. But it doesn't say the power of His Word. There is power in His Word. Remember, the Word of God is living and powerful. There is power in His Word. But this is not the way the Holy Spirit um, spoke this to us through the writer of Hebrews. Instead of the power of His Word, He spoke it the Word of His power. Now, let me explain to you the difference between the power of His Word and the Word of His power. And the difference is this. God's words... Are you ready? This is really important. God's words are the conduit through which His power flows. The Word of His power. So when God is trying to get His power from point A to point B... He delivers His power through the vehicle of His words. Okay? We see this through whom He made the worlds. We've already looked at this in, in Hebrews 1. How did He, by the way, make those worlds? <laughs> by speaking. He spoke, and when He spoke, He released the power through the spoken Word that created this universe and our, our world and all of the stars and everything that's in it. Okay? Don't you want to know a God like that? Don't you want to call Him Papa? Are you, are you, are you kidding me? Don't you, don't you want to get close to Him and know Him? Amen? I mean, my, 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 you know? Oh, you say, Pastor, you just, you know, you're getting way in, oh, that's way more than I can comprehend. You know, I just, I just can't fathom that. I just, that's just beyond me. Well, listen to me. Praise God. My little Yorkshire Terry is in my office. He's got a little spot on one of the sofas in my office. And you just say, Colonel, get in your spot. And he goes and gets in his spot. Okay, and that's where he is. He comes to church with us. He's one of the most faithful church members that we have. Okay? <laughs> and that puppy's smart now. I'm going to tell you something. He, he, he's smart. He, he's figured a lot of things out. Okay? Um, there was something on television the, the, other, the other night. And... Uh, and the lady's name was Cat, short for Catherine, right? And somebody called her Cat, and away he goes, right? Because he's thinking this C-A-T, not somebody on TV, right? All right. Now, would all of you agree with me, those who have pets, what, cats, dogs, what have you, that they do have a level of intelligence? Amen. But not the same level of intelligence as you, right? They're smart. They, got, they have intelligence. 
But you compared, you know, your intelligence compared to a puppy's intelligence, it's, it's, it's on a different level altogether, right? So why do we have such a hard time believing that there's not a level of intelligence and power and ability above ours? It's pretty arrogant to think nobody can be smarter than me. Children are smarter than me, right? Amen. Praise God, right? You know, you hear things like God numbers the hairs on your head. You know you lose around 100 hairs a day. You're constantly losing. I saw some folks start rubbing their head. No, no, I'm not just saying. Amen. Don't get nervous about that. God keeps up with all that. You say, I just don't understand how. Well, again, see, there's a level of intelligence above. You ever, have you ever seen, and I think it's, it's like glimpses of it. Have you ever seen one, somebody that like, would be considered a savant? You give them 18 nine-digit numbers and they can give you the answer that fast. You know, again, you say, man, how's their brain work that way, right? Again, I think that's just kind of a glimpse of, uh, you know, don't, don't count me out, right? God is uh, highly, highly intelligent. But anyway, let's get back to this. So, the word of His power is different from the power of His word. The word of His power is when God uses His words as a delivery system for His immense power. It's not just that His words are powerful, it's that His power is conveyed through His words. Now, an orator, someone can give a political speech, right, and say some powerful things that move people, amen, but this is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the power of God being, being uh, tra- traveling through uh, the words that he speaks. Let, let me give you an example here. Psalm 107.20 He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Okay? Alright? So now think about it. Um, let's, let's say uh, somebody has an accident and you know, they're on the uh, uh, side of the road and, and so we get some help to them uh, some paramedics to them and then get them to some doctors and, and get them some medicine, maybe even surgery, right? In other words, there, there, there were m- means available that were, were you know, introduced into this situation that, that brought healing, uh, maybe even saved this person's life, right? So, let's, let's look at this next part. And delivered them from their destruction. So, um, let's say uh, you know you're lost in the woods, and um, they send out a search party and a helicopter, and and um, you know let down some giant basket, and and they deliver you from that destructive situation. You, are you following? What I'm saying, in other words, there's there's real help, there's real uh, effort being exerted to to bring healing, to bring deliverance. But notice here that God's ways. Are, are higher than our ways. <laughs> Notice that He just simply sends His Word and, and His words become a conduit, a pipeline, if you will, through which His healing can flow into a person's life, into a person's situation. Not just sent His Word and healed them, but sent His Word and got them out of a jam. Delivered them from a destructive situation got them out of a mess. I'm sure nobody in here has ever been in a mess, but you probably know somebody, right? It got them out of a mess just by sending His Word to them, right? Now, do we not see this in Scripture? Do we not see this even in the life of Jesus? 
Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. Just, just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. How about this one? Proverbs 4 and 22. Speaking of the word of God, he says, For the words of God, they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Health to all their flesh. That's Proverbs 4 and 22. So, is there power in the Word of God? Yes. But at the same time, God can use His words. His words become this, this means by which His power is pipelined into a situation. Are you with me? <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. See, in other words, let, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you an example, alright? Let's, let's just say, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. Let's just say, in the past, amen, um, you have allegedly had an anger management problem. Okay? Allegedly. Amen. Don't ever make the devil's case for him. Amen. He, you allegedly. It has been alleged, you have been accused by the accuser of the brethren of having an anger management problem. Alright? Amen or oh me. Are you with me? Well, does the Bible have anything to say about anger? Oh man, yes. Thank God it does. Okay? So, what the Bible has to say about anger, though, listen to me, please. It's different from, let's say you go get, uh, 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 you go to an anger management class and you read a book uh, about how to manage your anger. I'm not saying those things can't be of benefit or of some help to you, but listen to me, please. God's words on anger become a pipeline from Him into your life to fix your anger problem, to deliver you out of that. Are you, are you, do you see the difference here? Amen. All right, I'm, I'm so excited about this. Let's, more to come on that. All right, let's go, uh, I'm going to go back. Brian had mentioned it, and it is obviously uh, very important. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Again, don't try to follow along. You can if you want to, but I'd rather you just kind of look at the screen because I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Version. And, um, and so this is what it says, Hebrews 1 through 3. I'm going to get to all three verses just because it's Amplified. I can't fit all three on one screen. It says, In many separate revelations, each of which, each of which set forth a portion of the truth. Remember now, we're talking about... The, remember we said that it, it was progressive. So... You know, when, when God reveals Himself as um, uh, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Amen. Is God a healer? Yeah. Yes. But notice that was the first time that had really been revealed. You know, tell the people I'm a healer. Okay, now so we're, 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 something about Him and who He is is revealed to us. So in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different... Let me start right here. Time out. That's such an accurate capital T right there. Right? Because who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. So all of those Old Testament revelations, you can find Jesus in those Old Testament revelations. The, the, the animal sacrifice, the, the sacrificing of animals, that whole system of, of, of atonement for sin, right? Jesus is the spotless lamb. Right, all, all of that were, you know, is pointing to Him. So, each set forth a portion, a piece, a part of the truth, and in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But, in the last of these days He has spoken to us in the person of a Son, 
whom He appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom He created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. <laughs> he made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. Okay? Verse 3. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being the outraying or radiance of the divine. And He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty Word of power. When He had, by offering Himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, He sat down at the right hand of the Divine Majesty on high. Isn't He wonderful, my friend? Isn't He wonderful? Praise God. Alright, now. Let's, there's a lot we could talk about here for the next three weeks. I want to I instead, I want to kind of zero in because we're talking about the Word of His power. Right? Because the Word of reconciliation, His Word, has, it's what's been committed to you and me. Right? This is what we have to use in this ministry of reconciliation. Are you, are you starting to see why the devil has tried your whole life to make you think the Word of God is irrelevant? To make you think the Word of God is boring? To make you think the Word of God can't be understood? To make you think the Word of God has nothing to say to you, about you, or for you? Why he's tried your whole life, every time you've heard anything from the Word of God, to come immediately and steal that from you? It's because it's His mighty Word of power! The power of God is, 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 resides within His Word and flows through His Word. His words are living and powerful. Alright, so now. Upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty Word of power. Okay? Can we have a little fun for a minute? I want to try to give you some idea on a very large scale of what we're talking about. Now I'm going to tell you where we're going with this so you can enjoy the ride, alright? If the Word of God can uphold, maintain, guide, and propel the universe, reckon it can keep you and me on track. <laughs> reckon it can sustain us reckon it's got some answers that we need so keep that in mind as we work our way through this again upholding, maintaining, guiding, propelling the universe by his mighty word of power now let's see if this will work praise God yeah it will work alright now we have a moon that orbits around the earth. Okay? That moon happens to be um, in proportion, the precise size and distance from the earth so that a total eclipse can happen. In other words, it's so big and yet the sun is 93 million miles away, but it just so happens that the earth is 
is perfectly positioned as far as its distance from the moon that when the moon passes between us and the sun, it completely, momentarily, right? We have something called a total eclipse. Again, probably just a coincidence. No way. All right, now. If you'll notice in the, uh, the brief video segment that as the moon orbits around the earth, that it actually is rotating on an axis. Now, for a long time in our history here on planet earth, even after we figured out the earth wasn't flat, okay, we did not believe that the moon rotated on an axis. To rotate on an axis means if you imagine a line driven through the moon and that it, and that it turns as it goes around. And the reason that we didn't think it did that, we later found out that it does, is because the moon um, makes one complete trip around the earth every 27.3 days. And it just so happens that the moon turns completely once on its axis. Anybody want to guess? <laughs> every 27.3 days. That's why we didn't think that it rotated because every time we would see it in its cycle, it looked the same. But there is a synchronization there that we now know is critical and that if it was not synchronized, it would cause the earth to wobble and make life on planet earth an impossibility. Let me try to show you that in this next drawing. So we know that the earth spins on its axis, right? And it takes what? Notice it's going much faster because the earth goes all the way around once every 24 hours, okay? Where the moon takes 27.3 days to go around, all right? But there's something called centrifugal force and what we understand about centrifugal force is that as the moon orbits around the earth, it cocks the earth slightly sideways. In other words, it's not straight up and down on its axis, but it's, it tilts slightly to one side as it rotates. Again, what we know now is that if that didn't happen, life would not be possible on planet earth. Now, the rotating and orbiting of the moon acts upon the earth in this motion, uh, tugging at it and, and tilting it slightly on its axis. I already said that. Now, earth turns once on its axis every 24 hours. Okay? But the earth, while it turns on its axis every 24 hours, also makes one complete trip around the sun. Right? Every, what, 365 days. You still with me? Okay. There's a lot of numbers here. Every single one of them, critically important. Now, in order for the earth to make a full rotation on its axis every 24 hours, it must spin at precisely 
1,070 miles an hour. Okay? You're on a dirt clod, a big one, spinning on an axis tilted slightly to the side, spinning at 1,070 miles an hour. Obviously, if it's more or less, we're in trouble. All right? Now, as we've already stated, the earth travels once around the sun every 365 days. In order to make the trip, the earth must travel at, brace yourself, 67,000 miles an hour. Let that sink in for a minute. You're on a dirt clod spinning 1,070 miles an hour while it hurtles through space at 67,000 miles an hour. If that speed is simply off 1%, we're going to come up 244,550 miles short every year. Again, which would mean life not sustainable on planet Earth. Because what we know about this is that as the Earth acts upon, as the Moon acts upon the Earth and the centrifugal force as it travels around the Sun, the Earth doesn't, doesn't go the same distance around the Sun throughout its entire cycle, right? We are now in the part of the Earth that we live upon, we are now starting to get further, slightly further away from the Sun. We're going into fall, which is going to lead to winter. Are you following what I'm saying? And those four distinct seasons, again, absolutely critical for life to be sustained on planet Earth. Now, here's my question for you. Where is the engine? Where are the computers? Where is the GPS, the satellite guiding system. How many miles per gallon, or should we say gallons per mile, does it take to move the earth around the sun at a speed of 67,000 miles an hour? I don't know if you've ever taken a long flight. I took a long flight to Kenya. On shorter flights even, they have a hard time predicting exactly when you're going to land. Because there's all kinds of different factors. There's wind speed, there's, there's this and there's that. And, and so they can only give you an estimate. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? They can only give you an, an, an estimate. On a really long flight, you, you could wind up three hours late or three hours early because of all the different factors involved in a, in a long flight. Do you, do you understand the precision that's involved on, the, on something of this scope and magnitude. We're talking about 93 million miles here, okay? <laughs> and yet, it's in perfect sync. It's in perfect order. Now, what we know is, of course, our solar system is made up of other planets that also have moons, that also, um, you know, orbit around the sun. 
What we are now understanding is that the galaxy that our solar system is in also is in an orbiting pattern. And the theory now, and I believe it is supported by Scripture, is that the entire universe is in a synchronized pattern of movement. Come on now. It screams intelligence. It screams design. It, 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 it's clear that um, these things did not just randomly happen. Alright? Isn't it wonderful? The omnipotence of God. And specifically, so let's go back. He upholds, He maintains, He guides, He propels. See, something is upholding this. You follow me? Something is... is listen, I, we, we have... The Lord's blessed us with, with, with you know, a, a nice comfortable building here and, and blessed us with some other rental properties and things of this nature. Um, just, the, just the maintenance, you know, on a on, you know, sixty thousand square feet worth of buildings is. <laughs> here's what I'm saying. Amen. There, there's maintenance involved in this. It's not just that God's upholding it; He's maintaining it, He's guiding it, and propelling it. And how's He doing it? Not just I'm just. This is one star, and one planet. It doesn't just say that He's doing this for our planet, but He's doing it for the universe. Upholding, maintaining, guiding, propelling the universe. How? By His mighty Word of power. And still knows the hairs on our head. Billions. In our own galaxy. We don't, I mean, there's, they're innumerable. It's innumerable, alright? So let's talk for a minute then about these words. Uphold means to support or keep elevated. Maintain means to keep in an existing state, to preserve from failing, to defend against opposition or danger. Guide means He steadies and directs the motion of. Propel is a force that imparts motion to move forward and onward. Alright? And again, I ask you, if He can do this for the universe, certainly, certainly He can do the same for our individual lives. Amen? Psalm 33.6, just put it up on screen right quick. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. And all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Alright? Can we keep going here? Turn with me to Mark the fourth chapter, verse 26 and 27. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Alright, we've looked at it on a even universe scale. I want to say universal, but what I mean by that, the scale of our universe, scale of our solar system, scale of our planet, uh, its moon, its rotations, its orbit, the precision of these things, the propulsion of these things, the guidance of these things, what's, what's holding these things uh, in, in their orbit and, and keeping them on time, and, and, and things of this nature. Okay, now, I want us to take these same principles, though, and I want us to look at them a little closer to home. And um, amen. So you'll see what I'm talking about here in Mark chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. And he said, Jesus speaking, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and, 
and the seed should sprout and grow, he himself does not know how. He himself does not know how. All right? So now think about it. What, I'm trying to show you the mighty word of his power in, 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 a, in a closer to home uh, uh, example. All right? So he's talking about the, the faithful farmer who gets up, he, he, plant, he works the ground, he plants his seed, um, he does what he knows to do, uh, and then he, then he does what? He goes to sleep, he sleeps at night, he rises by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. And notice, he himself does not know how. Now here's the thing about this, okay? We, we know so much about agriculture uh, you know, in our day compared to what you know, they had discovered, so to speak, um, in the day that Jesus initially uh, said these things. I mean, we, we can grow plants in the air now. We can, you know, there's, there's just all kinds of things that, you know, hydroponics, and obviously it's, we say it's in the air. It's, it's with water and, and fish poop. Amen. So there's, that's the dirt, if you will. But you know, all these genetically engineered, you know, uh, genetically modified stuff. I know there are people saying stay away from that. I'm not here to talk about your diet tonight. I'm just saying, all right. You know, you, you could have a PhD in agriculture from Auburn University. And anyone who has one of those would be the first to tell you that in spite of everything or despite everything that we know about seeds and farming, there is still a mystery as to why you can put a seed in the ground and that ground will cause that seed to sprout and grow. Okay? A little intimidated talking about these things in front of Casey, but amen, I think he knows what I'm saying here. There's a mystery associated um, with this. So notice, the farmer understands that mystery. Why does he sleep at night and rise by day? It's because he knows that he just engaged a process that's bigger than him. He just knows that he did his part in, in, a, in a plan, in, in, a, in a design that, that is bigger than him and that is overseen by someone, empowered by someone, God obviously, who is uh, bigger than him. He himself does not know how. Well, I'm going to tell you how tonight. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you why the ground will, will cause a seed to grow. It's Genesis 1 and 11. Genesis 1 11, what did God say? Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. In other words, when God spoke to the soil, when God spoke to the earth, He empowered the earth to reproduce whatever is planted in it. The mystery associated with seeds reproducing after their kind, the part that the, 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 the agriculturists, the biologists, the part that they just can't quite seemingly be, are able to put their finger on, it's, it's the God particle, if you will. It's the God part of all of this. It's that Father God has released the mighty Word of His power into the earth, and so now anything that's put into the earth is going to grow and produce fruit. It's really that simple. This is why you've got to be careful with the fence post. Because if you put a fence post in the ground, the ground is going to try to break that fence post down and grow it. And it will rot it off at the ground, right? Are you, are you following what I'm saying? 
That's because again, that's the power of God in the earth to grow whatever is put within it. We see it again in Genesis 8:22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So now we're seeing, amen, the word of his power, not just as it pertains to the earth, because there's more involved in seeds growing than just God speaking to the soil. It's all that that we put on that screen. The, 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 the orbiting of the moon as it rotates on its axis. The orbiting of the earth around the sun as it rotates on its axis. And the precision of all of that to create, again, cold and heat, uh, winter and summer, and day and night all the way to the soil, all the way to the solar system, all the way to the way our planet uh, operates. Amen. Now I'm going to show you one more. Mark 11 and 14. In response, Jesus said to it, He's speaking to a fig tree now, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And His disciples heard it. Now if you know how the rest of this story goes, the next morning, they go into Jerusalem, the next morning they come back by the tree, and the tree that Jesus spoke to has withered up from the root and died. And the disciples are in shock and awe about this. They're just so amazed and impressed. And of course Jesus says in that moment, have faith in God. Jesus wasn't showing off. He was demonstrating faith. Not just what His faith would do, but what your faith would do, what my faith will do. And we see this in the words that follow in, in this statement. I'm not here to teach on faith tonight right now. We'll do that later in the main service. But right here, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Notice now, who, He would have never said this if His Father had not told Him to say it. So this is not just Jesus speaking to the tree. This is Jesus speaking the words of His Father to the tree. And notice when He said to that particular fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, that fig tree gave it up, withered up from the root. Why? Because Jesus just took that tree's purpose from it, and with no purpose, there's no reason for it to take up space on God's earth any longer. If you like figs in the room tonight, you better be glad Jesus didn't say, let no man ever eat a fig on planet earth again. Because if He'd have said that, the earth would have no longer produced fig trees. Amen. The Word of His power. Let me say it another way. It was the Word of His power that caused that particular fig tree to grow, and it was the Word of His power that shut it down when Jesus spoke a word and told it to stop. Are you seeing this? Alright, now, I was sure hoping we would get here before the night was over. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Okay? Amen. Isaiah chapter 55. I need to make a slide that says this, okay? Um, I don't have it to put it on the screen, but I would highly encourage you to write this down if you're taking notes. Are you ready? Everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. <laughs> that's, that's from the Holy Spirit, brother. Praise God. Amen. It's from multiple verses. Again, I like to take things and condense them for you, alright? Everything in this created realm is subject to 
The Word of God. Why is it subject to the Word of God? It's because the Word of God is what created it. The Word of God is what gave it life. This is why Jesus could speak to a singular fig tree. And, and by, by speaking words, alter something in this created realm. Alright? Everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. Alright? Amen. So, when storms threatened Jesus and His buddies, He spoke to them, right? Amen. He spoke to fevers. What are fevers? Fevers are infections, right? Something going on in somebody's body that's inflamed, infected, is producing... Uh, you know, a, a battle within the human body where white blood cells are marching off to die and trying to save this person's life. Jesus spoke to a fever. And the fever obeyed Him. Amen. Amen. Same thing with a headache. Same thing with blindness. Same thing even with death itself. Lazarus, come forth. Amen. This is why three classes ago and then two classes ago, and then I think we may have mentioned it again uh, last class, you must give the Word of God overriding supremacy in your life. Make the Word of God the final word for everything that has anything to do with you. Amen. Amen. Now, Isaiah 55. Let's start at verse number 6. Amen. Verse number 6. It begins here this way. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Okay, now let me comment on this. First of all, we're in the Old Testament. Okay? But this also applies, I guess, this way in the New Testament. Um, there are times in our lives when we are in a better position to, to reach out and hear from God and receive from God than perhaps at other times. It's not, God's not going anywhere. It's us, right? We're the ones that are volatile and, and uh, changing and our focus changes, our attitudes change, the music we listen to changes, all this stuff, right? So, again, um, but what we see, of course, in the same way that the enemy is, is trying to manipulate circumstances and situations in your life, to pull you away, the Holy Spirit, holy angels, praying mamas and grandmamas, whatever, you know, are working to try to bring us into these opportunities, these encounters, these experiences with God and with the divine. Amen. And so what we've got to recognize is that God can always be found. There are just times when it's easier to find Him than others. And I don't, I don't mean that like some mysterious, uh, you know, God's hiding. I, I don't buy into all that stuff, okay? He's, he's not hiding. He's, he's come to seek. Remember we said the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Kept Covenant. Old one was people trying to find God. New one is God coming to find you. Okay? If you think God's hard to find, just stop for a minute and start worshiping Him. And He'll be right there. Okay? Alright. So, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. I still believe in the New Testament that there are are windows of opportunity, seasons that we have to recognize 
and, and make the most of in our lives. It's not that... I, I've learned in my life, and, and again, maybe this is for everybody, but I believe it's for somebody tonight. I used to look at, at my timeline with God as being linear, as just being a straight line. What I have found after serving Him for 52 years is that it's not linear, but it's like the orbit of that sun. Okay, And there are times in my life where God was moving and He was instructing me to take some steps of faith and to do some things that for whatever reason I was disobedient, I'm not going to try to spiritualize my dysfunction, for whatever reason I was too chicken, too cowardly, too afraid to do it, and I thought those opportunities had passed me by, only after going all the way around again, I found myself, I was, at a, I was in, a, in a different place physically, I was, I was, are you following, all, was a lot of things in the, in the surroundings were different, but it was the same door that I said no to three years ago. Now I'm staring at it again. Amen. Right? And so, uh, thank God, we're going we're gonna to go through that door this time. Amen. We're going to go through it this time. And, and so, again, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. A lot of times we, we like to talk about the timing of God, and certainly there is, a, there is a timing involved in the things of God, but He's always on time. We're the ones that are, that are either ahead of Him or lagging behind, and, and we need to let the Holy Spirit help us be where we need to be, when we're supposed to be there. That's why resistance is real. I can't tell you how many times people come up to me after a class, after a service, sometimes tears streaming down their face. Pastor Mark, I came this close to not coming tonight. And this is the answer I've been looking for for seven years. I'm telling you, again, you got... Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts... Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Aren't you thankful for a God who is merciful like that and abundantly pardons? Now, this is one of the earliest and clearest connections. It's other places in the Scriptures, and, and clearly we see it just so obvious in the New Testament that it's undeniable, unmistakable. But this is one of the earliest and clearest connections between the way we think and the, and the way we live or the way we behave. So notice, he doesn't just say, let the wicked forsake his way, what he's doing, the way he's living. The unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. So there's underlying thoughts that are producing the obvious issues in our behavior. It's not enough just to forsake the wicked ways. We've got to forsake the unrighteous thoughts that keep generating the wicked way, the wicked behavior in our lives. Let him return to the Lord, and the Lord will have mercy, and our God will abundantly pardon. Now, verse 8 for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, I've heard a lot of people that they stop reading right there and really kind of read quickly through the part above, and they just point to this like it's God just stating some dilemma that can never be resolved, some issue that we're just supposed to understand. I've even heard people say it's like, you know, 
You never know what God's going to do. God, the mysterious God. Sometimes God does, sometimes He doesn't. All these kind of crazy, nonsensical things that do not line up with the Scriptures. Okay? Um, listen, Father is not just stating the obvious here. He's diagnosing a problem for us. He's saying that we're not living the way He created us to live because we're not thinking the way He created us to think. Our thoughts aren't His thoughts. And because we don't have His thoughts, we're not doing things His way. Amen. I can't wait to show you, so I'm just going to give you a quick glimpse into it right now. But here's the thing, because thoughts determine emotions. If you learn to have God's thoughts, you can have His emotions. Jesus said, I've said these things to you so that you can have My peace. I have said these things to you so that you can have my joy. Jesus is saying, I just gave you a thought that originated in the heart and mind of my Father. If you'll take the thought conveyed in these words and make this thought your thought, the emotions these thoughts produce in my Father's heart will be produced in yours. Amen. Amen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. He's going to keep keep speaking to us here. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right? So notice he starts out by just saying, Your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways. Now he says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, he's giving us, obviously, it's. It's a, it's a, it's a big uh, measuring stick, but he's helping us understand that it's not just that his thoughts are a little bit higher than ours, <laughs> but they are a lot higher than ours. God thinks on an entirely different level and in an entirely different way than most people on planet Earth think. His ways, though, are not just different, and that's important. This is good news, okay? It's not just that God thinks differently from us or that we think differently from Him, but He thinks higher than us. Or let me say it another way. He thinks better than we think. Amen. Amen. So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. God's ways are better. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His thoughts are better. Okay? Now, verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 11, then we'll come back to verse 10. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Okay? So shall my word be. So now, notice how Father is just spelling this out. I mean, He's making the case like a Philadelphia lawyer. He is line upon line, man. I mean, He's just spelling it out. He's, He's building on this. He's making it simple, and He's going from simple to more uh, complex, but He's layering it, right? Layering it for us. He says the problem is you're not... It's more than just you're not... Your ways aren't my ways. The problem is your thoughts aren't my thoughts. 
And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher, better than your ways. I got some good news for you though. God speaking. I'm paraphrasing, right? Just like rain falls from the heavens down to the earth, just like precipitation falls from a high place down to a low place below to you, so shall my word be. God from His higher place in heaven also from His higher place of thinking and His higher ways of living, He has taken His thoughts, He has packaged them in His words, because what do words do? Not only do they convey power, ways, words convey thoughts. He has packaged His thoughts in words and He has sent His words down to us from heaven to the earth below. If you want to know what God thinks, my friend, His word contains His thoughts. God has spoken His Word to you because He is trying to convey His way of thinking to you. Not just His way of doing. God knows that if He only tells you how He does things without ever telling you how He, how he thinks, and, your, and His thoughts never become your thoughts, His ways will never become your ways. Now, this is extremely important here. Because we have been so indoctrinated by this world's way of thinking and this, world way of, this world's way of doing. Are you guys what I'm saying? In other words, when we have a problem, our first go-to is money. We try to figure out how much money it's going to take to solve this problem. That's not how Jesus operated. Jesus, remember the Bible calls Him the Word made flesh? We've already said Bill Johnson's quote, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. Let me tell you how to fully understand that, right? This means that Jesus is a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence. He is a living, breathing expression of the thoughts of God. If you want to know how God thinks, look at the life of Jesus. Because again, Jesus' thoughts were God's thoughts and Jesus' ways were God's ways. He didn't just come to reveal God to you, He came to reveal you to you. We never see Jesus doing things and saying, look fellas, you just kind of sit back and watch, but this is for me to do and not for you to do. The only thing Jesus did on this earth, to, to my understanding, that, that was for Him alone was His passion. His, his uh, beating, uh, His crucifixion, and His death, right? He did that for you, as you and me, now we enter into what He's done and receive the benefit without the suffering. Okay? But everything else, we see Jesus not only uh, setting an example for others to follow, we see Him consistently encouraging other people to do what He was doing. And we even see Him correcting and chastising those who, for whatever reason, failed to do what He set an example for them to do. Thank you, Jesus. For as, the rain, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you underline things in your Bible, it's clearly at 634. We're not going to be able to have time to get to this tonight, but we will next week. That word heavens is a critical word there. And notice there's an S on it. S means what? More than one. More than one. Okay, so just mark that while you're there. I'm not saying we won't come back to this verse, but there's other verses in the Bible where we see this word heaven with an S on it. Heavens, plural. Okay, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, amen.
I'm not trying to confuse you. There's some really important stuff there you need to understand. I wanted to point that out while we were there. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's saying that His Word taken into your life will cause your life to bring forth in bud. Just like a seed has potential within it to be released, the, the Word of God will release the potential that God has invested in you at your creation. Thank you for that one amen. Amen. For as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud. Remember, I, verse 11 says, so shall my word be. In other words, the word of God will do for you what, what precipitation landing on planet earth will do for the planet. That's what he's saying here. Okay? That it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Seed to the sower, bread to the eater. I always, I, I feel like I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't pause right here and explain to you bread to eat, seed to sow. Every good thing that's ever been in your life, that's in your life right now, or that will be in your life in the future, the Bible says very clearly that it came down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It came directly from God into your life. Even if you've never acknowledged Him or given Him credit for doing that for you, He's just good to us like that. Okay? Now here's the part though that you may also have failed to recognize. And that is, everything that God gives you, He considers a portion of that to be bread to eat and seed to plant. Let me simplify that. Every bit of that which He gives to you, He intends for you to take a portion of that and enjoy it, and then take a portion of that and plant it. Okay? Now, the reason that's so important to understand and recognize is what's going to happen to a farmer has a bumper crop of corn... but he winds up eating all of his corn. Cream corn, corn on the cob, popcorn, popcorn balls with marshmallows in them. I mean, every kind of thing you could possibly do with corn. He eats corn, uh, you know, for eight months. Then it's time to plant corn again, and he goes, Shazam, I ate all my seed. See, now he doesn't have anything to plant for next year's harvest. One of, the, one of the reasons people struggle financially, I think it perhaps is the number one reason. Maybe the number one reason would be because they don't tithe. The number two reason would be because they eat all of their seed. Quit eating your seed if you want to prosper. Everything that you have in your life right now, realize some of it is for you to enjoy and some of it is for you to plant for another day. He gives seed to sow and bread to eat. Verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. How many of you have ever heard the expression, God's word will not return void? You ever heard that expression? This is obviously where that comes from. Okay? 
God's Word will not return void. I've heard people throw that around. I've heard people sling that around. Well, you know, Pastor, God's Word will not return void. Okay? Now, that is absolutely right. God's Word will not return void. But if you plug that statement into the example that Jesus gave to us, we need to add this statement to clarify. God's Word will not return void every time God's Word is returned back to the heavens from which it came. Because the example is the precipitation falls from heaven and does not return back to heaven without causing the earth to bring forth and bud, providing seed for the sower and bread for the eater. In other words, when the rain comes down, the, the plants take in that rain and then release it back into the atmosphere. There is a cycle that has to be completed. The rain comes down, it is taken in, and then it is released back, and it is in the taking, absorbing it, and releasing it back that the potential in the seed, the potential in the plant, and the fruitfulness of the plant is realized. What is so often left out of this is God's Word won't return void, but God's Word must be absorbed by you and me. It must be taken into our lives and then it must be returned back to the source from which it came. This is what it means to return the Word of God back to the heavens and every time the Word of God is returned back to the heavens, it's going to cause something good to happen in your life and on this planet. But it's got to be returned. If God saying it was enough for it to make a difference in your life, then our lives would be much different than they are right now. In other words, what God has said concerning you that will be released in you through the Word of His power cannot be released until you begin to return that Word back to Him. Which means what? Getting it in your heart and speaking it out of your mouth. Now watch this. i got four minutes. Are you ready? Four minutes. He says that it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. If you underline things, underline that word accomplish. And it shall prosper. If you underline things, underline that word prosper. There is power in the Word of God that you have in front of you right now to accomplish some things in your life. And there is power in the Word of God that you have in front of you right now to prosper in key areas of your life. There is accomplishing, prospering power in the Word of God. Now I want you to notice also that it says that the Word will accomplish what it is that God pleases and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it for which I sent it. Now, this gives us some really important clues. For instance, when the Bible says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and He adds no sorrow with it. What is it that you think God intended to accomplish? What is it that you think God intended to prosper in your life by giving you those words from His throne, down from His throne in heaven, now made available to you tonight for you to return back to Him? What do you think, if you were just going to give a wild guess, what it is that God's trying to accomplish, what God's trying to prosper in your life, reckon it would have something to do with your finances? How about when God said, all of my children are taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. Anybody in this room tonight have some children that need some peace in their lives? Anybody in this room have some children that need to be taught of the Lord? 
How about if you started saying what God said about your children, the words that He gave you to return back to Him so that His words could accomplish and prosper in the very thing He sent it. What do you think God had in mind when He gave you and me the words that all of my children are taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of my children? He intended for you to take that Word as your own and speak it back to Him, making a faith declaration over your children, releasing the power that's in that Word of God that will literally cause people to be drawn to your children to teach them about the wisdom and ways of God. Oh, I'm getting stirred up about this. See, this is what I'm encouraging you. No, I'm not just encouraging. Let's just get... Let's just get Let's just get real about it. I'm double dog daring you. Find some situation in your life, some issue in your life that needs a miracle. Find out what God has already said about that thing, about that situation, about that pain, about that addiction, about that problem, whatever it is. Reckon He had some things to say about marriage. How about this? I'm sorry to get you to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because I don't put you on the spot, right? Anybody in here looking for a spouse? You realize the, do you realize God's given you seed to plant the heavens with in His Word? He said when a, man finds a, when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing for his life and obtains favor of the Lord. See, Miss Betty, you, you, you're saying that to these young, young, young men and women in here, right? Yeah. Think, think how you would have looked at that when you was 19. You know what I'm saying? I know, but you had an awesome husband, too, that loved you for a lot. Set, yes. <sighs> Folks online want to know what she said. I can't tell you. I've I got to censor that. No, I'm kidding. I said you had a good husband. She said the second one, yes. Amen. So, <laughs> praise God. He, yeah, he was a Pharaoh. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But you finally got you an eagle. Amen. All right. If there's power in the Word of God to uphold, maintain, guide, and propel the universe... There's power in the Word of God to fix what's broken in your life. There's power to accomplish what needs to be accomplished in your life. He sent His Word and He healed them. There is power to bring salvation in the Word of God. Right? Is that not what the Bible says? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. There is power to heal your body in the Word of God. There is power to set you free in the Word of God. Amen. And when it's returned to Him, it will not return empty. It, will not re- it, it cannot be returned to Him without producing some positive result in your life. That's why the devil's tried your whole life to keep you, first of all, from knowing anything about God, anything that His Word has to say about you, but also from you ever finding this part out. It happens time and time again, I guarantee you, there are a lot of people in this room you have never heard anything 
remotely like this. And some of you were raised in church from small children. Am I right about it? Never heard anything. Nobody ever told you this. Somebody said, I'm one of them back there. Amen. Yes, Sister Betty. Amen. It's, it's joyous victory and celebration of life and all of God's creation recognizing. Because what we see in Romans 8 is that this planet is still laboring under the curse. It will receive the, the deliverance from bondage in the future that we've already received as God's children in the earth. And, and we see that this, this planet is, is longing for the sons of God to take the rightful place. And my friend, I'm telling you, when you, those verses Sister Betty's talking about, you, you walk out and, and the trees just start waving at you, right? Amen. You, you, they do. They clap for you. So they're like, woo-hoo. You know, so if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings and, and, and that whole deal where the trees become you know, instrumental in helping the good guys, again, that's where he gets that parallel from the Scriptures. So anyway, praise God, 647. Where does the time go? Has this class just zoomed by or is it just me? All right. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us understand, Lord. Lord, to rightly divide, skillfully apply. Lord, to return that Word back to You, Father. Release the power that's in it to cause our lives to burst forth in fruitfulness like we've never seen before. Lord, I thank You tonight. Lord, we, we kind of made the joke about the spouse, but Lord, there, there's some folks in here, they, they believe in You. Lord, for the, for, the, for the right mate. And, um, and I thank You, Father, for giving them peace about that. And, and Lord, they begin to set their hearts and minds upon what You have to say about marriage. And, and, and Lord, even taking what You say about marriage and returning it back to You. Uh, Lord, praying over our children. Praying Psalm 91, protection over, over our lives, over theirs. Lord, when You give us words that speak of protection, you fully intended for us to return those words back to You so that they can accomplish protection. They can prosper and, and keep us safe. And so Lord, I thank You that everything we need can be found in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. And amen. Praise God.